You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise. folks, it's Mike White. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. A few weeks ago, we talked about the movie Wolfen, and I mentioned that there is a documentary in the works about Wolfen called Uncovering Wolfen. Well, I am back this week with an interview with the director, producer, editor, man about town, Mr. Stu Buck, to talk about that film, as well as another documentary that he's working on all about Michael Mann's The Keep. I initially asked Stu how he got interested in both of these films. It really started for me around kind of my final years of university, around 2003-2004, where I studied film in West Sussex. Um, This is about uh, 50 miles away from London. Parallel to that, I'd also started running for a production company at that time. While I was studying at university, one interesting thing that occurred to me um, is that there were very split camps in the study of film those that were commercially minded and those that were leaning towards the art house. Uh, There didn't seem to be a real um, sort of discipline for both forms. Uh, I mean, most of the Hollywood filmmakers in the 80s and 90s, I mean, they'd seen kind of Fellini's Eight and a Half uh, and all the great movies of the New Wave, uh, the world cinema. I mean, you only need to look at um, John McTiernan. Um, and to learn from his audio commentaries for films like Die Hard and Predator. I mean, he was very much influenced by all the world cinema of the 70s and 80s. I appreciated both forms. I was that kind of rare egg. Um, You know, if it was well-intentioned and it was well-made, I loved all forms of cinema. Um, And this was back when you would literally watch everything uh, in the VHS and the DVD eras. Uh, Now it's less so. Um, that was a pretty significant point um, that stayed with, with me, and uh, we'll sort of get into um, Wolfing later. When you were at university, were you making a lot of films as well as studying them? Uh, yes, yeah, I was indeed. Yeah, the last the last year gave us a real opportunity to um, direct our first first short film, um, so that was a good kind of learning exercise. You know, I learned a lot from that. Uh, I directed um, child actors. Um, you should, they say you should never work with children and animals, but um, I worked with one of them, um, and I had no problems at all. And um, I learned a lot about the craft of filmmaking, um, and that was really kind of a springboard uh, for me um, that really kind of bled in to running for a lot of these film companies back in the day. 
Um, so that kind of segues into being exposed to a lot of different aspects of the business. Uh, while I was studying, um, I remember Peter Briggs's version of uh, Alien vs. Predator. Um, that had sold for quite a lot in Hollywood um, at the time um, and providing script reports and so forth. Um, being exposed to budgets, uh, you know, I mean, these, these are budgets, you know, they're pretty, uh, modest budgets, but, um, at that time it was between maybe films between one and 25 million. Um, The Merchant of Venice was, was probably one of the biggest films that they did at the time. Uh, Michael Radford's, uh, version, um, The Secret of Moon Acre. But what they seriously lacked was, uh, distribution with these titles. So what happens when you get on a university? That was the question. I mean, that's the question you ask yourself. What are you going to do next? Um, because I had no background, uh, sort of film, sort of family background. I, I wasn't a privileged child in any way. So I really had to find a way in myself after building up all these uh, network of uh, contacts uh, in the industry. So I started with uh, people that I had known and I'd met uh, previously. And one of them was... Um, a, a guy named Peter James, producer who has now become a very successful writer, but he had been working uh, with the companies I had been running for at the time. And he, for kind of genre fans in particular, Peter James is most known for his work he did in the 70s with Canadian tax shelter movies, uh, with Quad- Quadrant Films, uh, Bob Clark's uh, Death Dream uh, was one, and also The Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. So I wrote a uh, sort of proposal for a documentary on him. I mean, it was never made. Uh, he was pitching his own TV series at the time, which was also never made. Um, but that was a good kind of germ uh, of an idea of, of how to work my way into the documentary form. And it was those kind of contacts that then gave me a sense of wanting to pursue the documentary um, as a specific subject. Um, and that's obviously when I became very interested in Michael Mann's body at work and one personal favorite film um, being Wolfen. Which comes first, your interest in The Keep or Wolfen as far as these documentary projects you've been working on? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I saw probably both films on VHS at the time mm. and they struck me as very well-made pieces of, of, of cinema. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't um, sort of young, young enough to see them um, on the big screen. Obviously, the lore of the obscure mystery of these films, um, the fact that they were done in a kind of studio environment, um, but they had a, ve- a very kind of unusual mix of an experimental um, and a documentary film wrapped up uh, inside. Um, and that's those two kind of things kind of gel together for me and what interested me most about it. Um, and that obviously comes back to the things that I'd learnt in film school about uh, my class, not really uh, respecting the discipline of both forms. So when do you say, this is it, this is what I want to work on? Did you happen to start to dig into these movies first and see the unusual production histories? Or were you just like, I want to learn more about this and I'm going to use a documentary form to do that? Yeah, I mean, um, this is the kind of, we're talking 2004, 2005, so it was very kind of uh, early stages of the internet where you would gather a lot of facts um, at this time. 
I think it was 2007, I tried my hand again at uh, a couple of short films and that really wasn't working for me in terms of financing. So um, the documentaries grew organically. Um, I started, I think I started with Michael Wadley first as a kind of through line. Um, I went to see him. He now lives here uh, in South Wales. Um, he lives up here with his veterinarian wife. I mean, he's still a hippie to this day. Um, he uh, still remembers the history of Wolfin very sharply. And he gave a fascinating probably two to three hour interview that really kind of set um, set me on my way in terms of putting together the pieces to tell this story. Because I wasn't just interested in the retrospective side of it. I was interested in the, the social causes that he still fights for. Yeah, he's a very fascinating guy. Was it easy to get in touch with him for you, or did it take a lot of cajoling? It did take some time. <laughs> Obviously, me being, you know, probably about 60, 70 miles away from Wales, um, I think he was willy, willing to give the commitment to sort of sit down uh, with me and give me the time um, that I needed. But, yeah, I mean, I think at uh, that time he was pretty much exhausted of talking about Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Um, and documentary, although it will touch on that history, it won't really kind of um, talk about that um, in, in more depth. Um, it's really solely about Wolfin, its themes, um, and what he intended to do with the film. So do you go to him with the idea this is going to be a documentary, or do you say we're going to sit down and talk about this and we'll see what happens with the footage? Very much the latter as opposed to the former. I wasn't quite sure. The same with Keep um, in many ways. I wasn't 100% sure where this would go or whether it would go anywhere. Um, But both of them really kind of grew quite organically uh, in the end. Um, And so I decided to continue um, and we, here we are sort of 10 years later with all these pieces um, that we've gathered together, many, many interviews and a real understanding of New York culture um, at that particular time, um, that particular era, um, the 70s and 80s, and um, just what kind of Michael really wanted to do with the film, which we can both both understand uh, now in script form. And... Um, what eventually ended up being in the movie. Tell me a little bit more about the timeline as far as you getting these interviews, finding out information, and then I imagine you've got to be working a day job at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I've managed to find something that is uh, very sympathetic um, with the ambition of, of doing this um, or trying to do this uh, for a living, and it allows me the time to, to go away and edit and produce these things and, and really do a little bit of traveling um, to understand these different uh, cultures. Um, we spent probably at least three or four years gathering interviews for Keep, for example, in Europe, in the US, uh, all over. And that really comes down to my deep, intensive research um, that I do on these documentaries. I mean, it really goes above and beyond your standard commissioned um based piece um which which could never be done uh, in house i'm just trying to imagine what it's like to balance working on two pretty major documentaries about these films from the 70s and 80s uh at the same time because it just seems like such a workload for one movie much less two 
Absolutely, yeah. And I've also got short films and, and features in development as well. But these are obviously the main focus for now. They need to be finished, and uh, hopefully next year will be the year where we can uh, we can finally put them out there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of hurdles along the on, along the way, like a lot of these uh, independent filmmakers have, like licensing material and um, you know getting the right pieces to to, to tell the story. Really, um, with Wolfin, it's a little bit different. I mean, it was a close set. So I knew, for for example, that there wasn't going to be any sort of moving image behind the scenes. Um, so this was going to be very, um, very much focused on introducing what Wadley had done before Wolfen um, as a kind of pre-credits uh, sequence into 1979. We're, we're talking at a timeline, at sort of a decade later. Um, so to speak, um, into the development of Wolfin and um, the themes he chose. Um, so we're looking at a very broad um, set of, of, of different themes, such as Native American Indians, um, the surveillance um, uh, kind of design of the piece, which we'll get into. Um, when we interviewed Paul Silbert, um, that was the first thing, and that was the masterstroke of, of, of the film, um, was having the very top of society and the very bottom of society, um, you know, and that, that, that was, um, quite key to, to developing the film. It sounds like you already have quite a structure set up in place, but I'm curious how that came to be and what were some of the biggest challenges making this for you? With Wolfin in particular, I mean, there, there are uh, lots of people who were very forthcoming um, to talk about this film. Um, some on camera, some gave audio interviews. Um, but I think, that, again, you know, talking about that split camp idea, there there is very divisive uh, teams of people on the, on the film. I mean, Wadley, uh, to this day, never uh, said he had the real drive to to pursue this um, as an ambition. I mean, it was just something that, you know, he wanted to come to Hollywood. He wanted to, to send messages. Um, we have fragments of that left in the movie, which uh, remains fascinating. What I'm trying to do is really kind of structure it in such a way where there, I'm trying to give this message that there is something very prescient about this film in particular and um, obviously the nature of terrorism. Where are you getting the budget in order to, are you flying over to the U.S. to get these interviews or are you doing them all from the U.K.? There is a, a little bit of, um, I should say, networking in terms of people we reach out to in the U.S. I have been over there. I mean, we, we were very lucky to have um, a lot of the cameramen who work on a lot of these uh, independent projects and also for the DVD and Blu-ray interviews. Um, they've been very, um, helpful and, and um, uh, you know, uh, open to, um, you know, f really kind of helping me sort of segue in, into, uh, you know, trying to, to, to make this a reality. I mean, it's, it's hard to do it from here. I mean, um, there are, one or two people here for Wolfen, um, but but I had to be in New York. I mean, that's really where where it started, um, and of course, Los Angeles is where a lot of the um, crew have now since uh, kind of retired uh, to. 
So it's it's a little bit of both, um, to be honest, Mike. Um, it's uh, my kind of well withal to to get over uh, at the times that I need to get over there. Um, but constantly battling against time um, because you're aware of of people's kind of ages is is, is one particular factor that you have to take in mind and um, sort of you know running out of time um, certainly on keep that is that has um, proved to be I mean we've interviewed many people who have since passed away unfortunately but yeah it's kind of gathering all these pieces um, and it involves sometimes uh, a big team of people to do that. So it's got to be a little schizophrenic for you because I imagine you're trying to set these interviews up for both movies at the same time so that you can hit multiple people in, say, Los Angeles for Wolfen and for The Keep. Yeah, in such a way, yeah. I mean, um, it just so happens that Wolfen was, was proving to be such a pleasurable experience in the way it got started that um, The Keep... Uh, followed suit um, soon after and you know it's um, something that hasn't been tried and tested um, you know I think a lot of people uh, they can gather their facts and they can write about it online but um, it takes someone to really sort of go out there and uh, spend their own money uh, own time and own money to, to really kind of um, gather all these pieces together so you've been working on this documentary, for, or both of these documentaries, for over a decade. You talked about doing some research in 2004, 2005. Do you also run into the issue when it comes to technology changing, and are you having to battle now with formats of different things that you might have shot in the early days versus lately? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought about um, two routes with Michael Wadley's interview. He can either be kind of a narrator in some way, um, where we'll, we might might just look at look look at using his audio as a possibility, or he might be uh, on camera in the actual film itself. Because you know, yeah, te- technology has changed, and and formats have changed. Camera camera, um, you know, household cameras have changed. And the domestic use of, of, of editing. Um, I'm, I'm just right now looking in front of a monitor and editing the opening sequence to the documentary for Wolf. Um, so I'm actually looking at footage that I had shot, you know, 10 years ago. I've seen the trailer now for the Wolfen documentary, Uncovering Wolfen. And I have to ask, where did you get those amazing shots of the flyovers of New York? Uh, most of it is actually stock footage. Okay. Um, but it, but it's very specific. The shot as we come round to Federal Hall is is meant to be a, a POV, as if we were looking from you know the, maybe the last wolf in existence, um, <laughs> uh, looking round um, and weathered and beaten and defeated um, by the by you know the, the America that we have today. And I also have to ask about your poster designs, because they are fantastic. Who did your poster work? Yes, that was a guy named Jeremy Mincer. Um, I think he's quite he's quite well known in the business. Um, but he had done previously, I think, a poster for a screening of Wolfen here in the UK um, at the well-known Prince Charles Cinema, um, which Wadley attended, actually. He was there. Print of the film, I think, had been carefully stored away. For, for many, many years, so it was in very con- good condition at the time. 
And, you know, I think because of the success of, of Woodstock, uh, Warner Brothers have taken gr- great care uh, with Wolfen over the years. I mean, they've, they've released it, you know, time and time again in, in widescreen and, and taken great care in, in transferring the film most recently for Blu-ray. Um, I'm guessing you're aware of the, the, the great uh, transfer that came out, um, I think, in 2015. I'm definitely aware of that. I'm also aware of the rumors that there were uh, there was an audio commentary that was omitted from that release. It may or may not have been recorded. Um, ah. I'm not 100% convinced that it was. But if it was, it may well have been, you know, for all kind of manner of reasons. You know, I, I, I mean, Wadley has very specific political points to make. Uh, so maybe that didn't sit sit well with the studio. Was there anyone that you encountered who was reticent to talk about the film? No, I don't think so. I think the um, although I feel sorry for him in some ways is is the great um, editor Richard Chu, um, who had a very difficult experience on the film. He was very protective of um, Wadley's vision, um, and even though it was unfinished at that time that it had to be presented to, to the studio, studio executives. Um, he left, or rather he was fired, um, along with um, Wadley. Speaking of editing, are you doing all of your own editing on these as well? Only on Wolfen. Um, I have that here in the UK. Uh, the Keep is over in New York uh, right now. Um, I won't get into the editing of that piece um, because there's a, there's, there's a lot more elements uh, involved and to edit those two documentaries myself would be very overwhelming so that is released um from my control at the moment um until we get a, a rough cut together which hopefully will be in february uh wolfing will take a lot longer um we're looking at probably a maybe a 12 month kind of turnaround to produce a first cut um, but that's very much dependent on again licensing and, and gathering the materials to really tell the story do you already have your composer set for that well i mean i thought about using um horner score really as as the lyrical kind of piece center of the piece really i mean it's it's such a, um, an emotional um piece of work and I think even though amazingly you only had five or six days to record it in, it's, it's quite remarkable how well that works within the frame of the film. So I haven't really thought about, um, music, um, at this very stage. I think the most important thing now is just to get the entire structure onto the timeline, um, and really kind of, um, look at it, um, and, um, maybe get a fresh pair of eyes on it maybe get another editor in to look at it and see what's working, see what's not working. Um, and then I can think about uh, music. Have you even started to think about distribution for it? Well, this is a little bit more of an unusual beast. I mean, you know, it's a story where it breaks away from the traditional retrospective way of, 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 of telling stories into a kind of social cause and real world issues. Um, so, you know, I think it would kind of probably bode well more with, you know, we, we, we could look at places like PBS, um, for example, they could be a good market for it. 
Uh, what he expressed interest in maybe the BBC. Um, we have BBC Four here that shows a lot of arts documentaries. Recently, um, there was the uh, Decade of Fire documentary that focused specifically on um, that particular time in the South Bronx. Um, that is kind of really a parallel project to the story I'm, I'm trying to tell. Do you have any concerns? Are you using footage from the movies while you're doing this? Yeah, I mean, fair use is, is definitely going to be um, something we're going to have to follow. The nature of pulling uh, kind of pieces um, from documentary film, um, we've seen uh, many other films being made at that particular time, the Fort, Fort Apache of the Bronx. But I, I would say Wolfen is probably the most handsome um, of the pe- of the pieces that were made at the time. Clips from the documentary would primarily consist of ways in which we can um, work in uh, a fair use um, angle. I know you're not done with either of these yet, but I am curious what has been the most difficult thing to put together these two documentaries? Just the stam- stamina, really. The stamina to be able to... Uh, keep going and finding new things, um, really. There is obviously a period where, when you need to stop, um, and that period is now, um, where we, we really have all the elements to, to, to tell the story. Uh, I mean, the Wolfen is very much a cautionary tale, really. I mean, we can only be subjective, but on one hand, you know, when, when a filmmaker has these opportunities and they come to Hollywood, you know, you, you have to be willing to be flexible. Um, I guess Wadley really wasn't. He didn't have, as I said, the drive like his peers, like Scorsese and Coppola did, to basically continue with it. Um, his reasons for leaving the film business, business are many and varied, but uh, what uh, remains a wolf in, and what we have is fascinating. You don't seem to shy away from taking on almost too many things, and I'm curious, are you working on anything else while you're still working on these two documentaries yeah i mean i'm not going to talk about them because they're from pre-existing uh films um but the one of them is a remake um a french uh, movie but it's based on a british book um that's what i'm working on at the moment so i'm kind of moving away from documentary but at the same time documentary is still a fundamental interest for me that's where I would like to eventually make a living. Um, really, the film aspect is really the bigger kind of aspiration. You know, the business has changed so much that in a career, it's, it's very hard to, to make maybe one film every three years. So the question that's on my mind, and I'm sure it's on the mind of the listeners as well, is where can we keep up on these things? Where can we find out when... A World War II fairy tale, the making of Michael Mann's Keep or Uncovering Wolfen are going to be out and playing in festivals near them. I think with uh, the Michael Mann project, that is going to be finished a lot sooner than Wolfen. Um, that already has a lot of exposure online, so you can always keep up to date with it. Um, we've been quiet for, for many reasons, primarily because we're editing. But with Wolfen, I chose... I chose something slightly different in that I didn't really want to really get involved too early on in promoting that online until it's finished. Primarily because there's so much to say, I think, with it. 
Um, not to say that that diminishes any of the work that we've done on a World War II fairy tale. I mean, that has as many elements as uncovering Wolfen does. But um, both documentaries, um, I wanted to try slightly different approaches um, to the pieces. Um, and so Wolfen has been very much undercover, no pun intended. <laughs> well, I think that was very intended. Even the title itself. I mean, when, when when we look at the movie, Mike, I mean, everything in Wolfen is designed and there for real purpose. I mean, it's a whole world picture, certainly in terms of design. I mean, as I said, it's about surveillance. Um, and so I was very specific about creating the documentary too. You know, the title itself, Uncovering Wolfen, is a direct nod to Finney's de- detective in the film in the way he pieces the case together. Uh, one of my particular fav- favourite um, sequences in the film is obviously the, the the Indian bar sequence, where he's he's sitting there and listening to the Indians, and um, we segue beautifully with James Horner's score into Van der Veer's apartment, and he's there, almost kind of mumbling in a kind of leerish kind of way, piecing together the pieces of of, of the cases um, that he's working on. I mean, there's almost a sense it's kind of a lyrical uh, height that it reaches um, at that, that particular time in the film. Well, Stuart Buck, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so glad that we were able to talk about your documentaries, and I can't wait to see them.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.